Hey, I'm Lisa, and welcome to In Pursuit. Today's episode is a part of the Undergrad Guide series. Now, navigating undergrad is a daunting task, from choosing a major to signing up for classes, even deciding on a student organization to be a part of or finding an internship that aligns with your values is scary and hard. There is no guidebook to point you in the right direction and a lot of possibilities can go unnoticed. The undergrad guide is here to alleviate some of that stress. I will be sitting down with people all across the board from different fields of studies and various extracurricular experiences. I hope to not only introduce the different majors and minors available, but also the different things you can immerse yourself in to fully enjoy an undergrad experience that is catered to you. Welcome to the Undergrad Guide, and I hope you enjoy it. Today in particular, I sat down with Avi, and he is going into his third year at UC Berkeley, and he's actually a triple major. So he'll go into explaining how all of this happened, but I don't think I've ever met a triple major, and that is so cool. But he also is just involved in so many other things on campus and outside of that, including internships and research. And thinking of what I wanted this series to be like, I couldn't have thought of a more perfect guest than Avi to introduce the series and be my first guest for it. We actually went to the same high school and recently reconnected on LinkedIn, which sounds very like professional and grown up, but I reached out to him. I was like, oh my goodness, can I interview you? Because all of his and I was really interested to find out how these came about and how they aligned with what he was in pursuit of in his undergrad. So... That is what we talk about today. We also talk about some social issues and how he would want to transfer his knowledge and his experience into helping them and solving some problems over there. So a very interesting chat overall, and I hope you enjoy it. I think there's a lot to be learned of just the idea of supplementing what you are learning with something that you're passionate about. And that's really what he goes for when he's building these projects. And it's all because he either wanted to solve a problem or learn something new or both. And I think that is really unique. So enjoy the episode and I hope you learn something new. Hi, I'm Avi. I go to UC Berkeley. I'm a triple major in statistics, computer science, and economics. I'm currently working at Microsoft, and my primary focus education-wise is to do some sort of financial engineering or economic research. On the side, I enjoy creating web applications, anything related to coding. I've created a, a web app for Spotify, and I make virtual escape rooms with my friends. Outside of that, I pretty much just cook and I like working out when the gyms are open. I don't like running as much, but you make do with what you do. Let's start with your hobbies. We went to the same high school and we used to have breakfast at Avi's, so he is not joking with the whole cooking thing. Tell us how you started that and how it's a break from your daily. Yeah, I think cooking is is great because you get to sort of still create things. You still get to do something productive, but it's, it's much you know less work seeming right you're not sitting at a desk you're not sitting at a computer you're still creating you're still working i think you know you, you get to make something productive and it you have to you have to cook or do things anyway you have to eat so it makes sense to just sort of multitask in that sense get a little bit of break from regular work and experiment a little bit plus cooking is a great way of doing a trial and error in my opinion you get a 
see how things work, see if they don't work, make things to how you like them. And I think that that's what's great about it. Do you feel the same way about running? No, running running is just so that you can eat more later on. That's that's the primary goal of that. I used to run in high school. I look back at it, I'm amazed that I used to run as much as I did, but it's definitely a healthy thing to do. I just, not a huge fan of it. <laughs> mm-hmm. I wanted to unpack your triple major. You just dropped that like it's just another Tuesday. How did you even decide to do a triple major and how did you narrow it down to econ stats and computer science and you kind of talked about where you see yourself going with that but why did you choose to special in those three that's a question i get quite a bit when i tell people that i originally came into berkeley as a data science and economics major that was what i intended to do but i started taking data science classes and i realized that the data science major is relatively new at berkeley it's like its second year and it isn't in my opinion fully developed I think it it doesn't cover computer science or statistics in depth enough. And in order to remedy that, I started taking more computer science classes and more statistics classes. And I ended up realizing that it was possible for me to just do the majors for those instead of doing the data science uh, major and do the economics major all at the same time. So it was more of a progressive thing. I didn't realize that I could do that until a little bit into actually taking those classes and then sort of worked out that I could have just added a couple classes and gotten the actual certification in that sense of the of the triple major brand. So that was that was good. My my goals haven't necessarily changed from when I came in. I'd still want to do economic research, still want to do working with markets, um, sort of seeing trends that are happening, but it's just the ways that I'm going about those goals have just slightly changed. And did you have to do that research for yourself? I think a lot of times as first years, or at least from my personal experience, I would rely on my advisors very heavily to show me the projection of how I should go about my degree. And it wasn't until like I did some research on the different programs themselves where I could really narrow down what was best for me. So how did that look like for you? And how were you able to realize that you could add on these certifications? It was pretty much just taking classes that I found interesting. That's where the first exploration happened. When you first come into, I think, most colleges, you you take sort of weeder classes or classes that everyone takes, like general math classes and whatnot. I took some linear algebra classes my first semester that I really enjoyed as my basic math credit. And then a lot of people around me were computer science majors, so I also took a computer science course that contributed to my data science degree, the one that I was planning on doing at the time. And I really enjoyed the computer science course a lot more than I thought I would. And, and then I took the semester after that, my sophomore first semester, I took a statistics course. And I really enjoyed that a lot more than I than I had previous data science things. So it, it was really like slow progression over almost three semesters of like taking a course, finding out I enjoyed it, the material, how in-depth it was going a lot more than the classes I had, you know, were for my major, quote unquote. So that's what, it was like the slow progression of like, oh, I like this subject material. Let me t- try more into it. And then just progressively going further in depth. And I definitely did get lucky in the sense that a lot of classes I took for data science contributed to my computer science and statistics courses. If I had pivoted from like biology to statistics or something of that sort, I definitely don't think I would have been able to to do the triple major. It's just I sort of lucked out in that circumstance. Were you involved in anything or did you have any experiences in high school that set you up to be successful in these areas? 
Technically, I did a research position the summer before senior year of high school, in which we did basic research. We did graph analysis. But in all honesty, that actually turned me off from computer science. I didn't enjoy the work I was doing all that much. It felt very theoretical. It didn't feel very practical. And I knew the stuff, but I didn't really enjoy it, which is why going into college, I wasn't planning on doing a computer science major. But by taking some of the courses, that definitely changed my mind. I saw some of the practicality of the approaches. And then also doing some side projects on my own really helped me see that there was much more practicality to, to the stuff I was studying than, than the classes and research made it seem. Mm-hmm. And do you want to talk about those projects a little bit? I've definitely used your GPA calculator at the end of spring semester to see what I needed, but how do you even start these and how do they transform from ideas to real things and take us step-by-step through the process? Almost every project that I've done has been born out of either laziness or out of learning. And I know it seems oxymoronic, so I can explain. I made a Spotify project, for example, that will automatically tell me what playlist a song should belong in based on my listening. But that was because I didn't want to keep going through my songs and finding out which one it belonged to. I wanted something to do it for me. So I figured that this was the best way of doing it. It was a way for me to learn how to do something. In this case, it was machine learning, while also still remedying a problem that I had in every day. And I think that's the best way of going about projects, or at least the way that I usually tackle them, is that there's something I want to solve. Usually, if it's personal to me, it makes it easier because then I have motivation to solve it. And then there's, you know, it's usually a technology or something new I want to learn by, by doing that. And that's usually how I start most of my projects. So the Spotify one is an example of that. It just sorts your music. The one that Lisa was talking about was specifically a GPA calculator made. So that was to learn web development. That was something I didn't really get a chance to learn before and quarantine sort of set that up for me. And my sister kept asking me actually if I could help her calculate her GPA. And I made an Excel sheet for her, but that wasn't as interactive or intuitive to use. So I figured that this was the next best way to to help with that. So I, I learned that and I created it. So that was another way of like, there was a problem I needed to solve, something I wanted to learn. So you just find the merger between them if you can and then go about doing that. And that's pretty much how I've, I've tackled most of the personal projects I've done is just you know, finding, finding that little middle ground sweet spot. Through all your projects, you seem to work with like amazing people and people who help you facilitate your ideas into actual things. And how do you find like a team or a partner to do these things? I think a lot of the projects I've worked on, I've reached out to my friends who I know specifically would be enthusiastic about the topic of that project. So I did a stock market project. I reached out to one of my friends who I knew was interested in doing stock market analysis. Uh, this I made a virtual escape room. One of my friends I knew was super into puzzles and wanted to learn how to do HTML and JavaScript coding a lot more. So I reached out to him. And I think the biggest part about it was that there had to be an enthusiasm to, to work on the project but also with that a desire to, to learn with it as well. Because for me, there were learning processes, right? So I think the best people to work with are people who are just as eager to work and learn as you are. And that's what makes it sort of progress along. If you both are motivated to keep working at it because you're gaining something out of it, that, that's where the best, best results come from. Mm-hmm. And you explained your motive behind the GPA calculator and Spotify. What was your motive behind the escape room? So that one was pretty much to learn new technology. And I really, I saw a lot of the escape rooms online that people were posting and they were all Google forms and, you know, they're fun, but I thought two things. One, the puzzles seemed too easy Two, 
they just wasn't immersive enough, I thought. And obviously, I wasn't super inclined to learn game building or virtual environment, that type of stuff. But I, I was getting more into like this web development area. And I figured that making puzzles that people could interact with, even at surface level or even just basic animations, was a good way of bumping up the sort of standard of the virtual escape rooms that were posting around. So that was the motivation behind it, was just to sort of give a better caliber of escape room. And I reached out to my friend. I was like, you want to help me make the storyboard? You want to help me make some of these puzzles? And that's, that's where it started off with. And actually, it's really exciting because we start off with one escape room. It was called Sherlocked. And then I made another one. And then we, me and him together, I reached out to him and I was in like, we have two now. What if we just keep making more? So we set up a home site and we're just adding more escape rooms you know, week by week. We're trying to experiment around with new things. We're trying to have more collaborators on and just expanding at a, at a rate that me and him, when we first made it, didn't think was going to happen. It's with Andrew, isn't it? It's with Andrew, yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. And how does that contrast from like, obviously an escape room and something that monitors stocks is very d different. So how's that been for you exploring different areas of interest? I think it's exciting to, to have all these different things. I think it helped prevent burnout to a certain extent. If you work on a lot of data science stuff all at once, it's great because you learn a lot and you can apply some of the things you learn across projects but it also, you're working on the same type of thing over and over again, I feel like, and that can get a bit tedious. So definitely having a variety of projects in terms of like the scope, the focus, the technology I'm using is great. The, the stock market one is much more of an individual project. It's much more nitty gritty math, while this uh, escape room is much larger scale, going out to actual people who are using it. It's design. So it, it's two vastly different things, but that's what makes it easy to jump between them. It's exciting to go from data analytics to this design aspect. It's, it's just cool. What have you discovered about yourself throughout all these projects? I really do not like interacting with people as much as code. Andrew helps me a lot with onboarding collaborators and interacting with feedback or the reviews that people have. And I've noticed that it's just not something that I enjoy doing. I'd much rather spend a couple hours debugging code, reading feedback and doing that than actually interacting with people and doing case studies. And doing interviews with people is such an important part of, of data analytics usually, but I've realized that that isn't something that I necessarily would enjoy doing, or even from a research standpoint, if I ever go into research, I would probably have to get someone to help me with that aspect of data collection. And that's something I knew beforehand, but I didn't realize the extent of the disparity between those two regions. Mm -hmm. And kind of shifting gears here, outside of personal projects, what else have you been involved in in your undergraduate experience, like student organizations? So I was super gung-ho about joining clubs my freshman year. I, I Berkeley, being a huge campus, grants that opportunity to have you know different people. There's There's coding clubs, there's dance, there's volunteer service there's quite a bit so me and my friend at the time were like we're just gonna apply to everything see what we get into another thing about berkeley clubs is they're very competitive so we didn't actually end up getting into all that much some of the clubs have like a three four percent acceptance rate which is crazy um, to think about that being that selective but it is what it is so i ended up joining this one club particularly it's called the berkeley forum and they do amazing work they pretty much invite speakers from across the nation to come speak. They're inviting Dr. Fauci to, to speak. And that was a really cool thing. They've invited like senators before. And 
they do a lot of amazing work and I've helped them with data analytics, with video equipment, sort of, sort of technical sides. But it was, it was really cool to see all these motivated people work from different backgrounds. We had economic students, we had legal students, we had, we had people from various, various backgrounds. And they were all working towards this common goal because they just wanted to spread discourse and people's opinions as much as they wanted to. And I thought that was a really cool motivation for a club and for just, you know, a principle that they had. Uh, and I really enjoyed that. I served as the VP of technology two semesters ago. So that was, that was fun to sort of close out my involvement with them. Now I'm just helping out as an alumni almost. I also joined a dance team. That was fun. That was something way out of my comfort zone for sure. But still don't know how I got on, but it's been, been a lot of fun. It eats up quite a bit of time, but that goes back to an earlier point that I was making about burnout is that you spend all day doing computer science, statistics, a lot of this, you know, very technical stuff. So being able to do stuff that wasn't technical at the end of the day was also a good balance in the life. Yeah, that's awesome. Sounds like a really cool experience and a way to balance out, like you said, having to do these stuff that's kind of taking a toll on your brain and then just being able to do something that you don't have to use your brain as much. Absolutely. I was going to ask what your position was in these organizations and how they supplemented your experience and your education. You talked about being the vice president, kind of now moving on to helping out with tech. So do you want to talk about your positions a little bit more? Sure. So in the Berkeley Forum, we have different divisions almost. They would call them committees. There's like a communications, there's moderating, there's all these various ones. So technology was actually a new, new division that popped up and I was the second vice president of it. So that was an interesting, you know, pivot. Basically, what we did is we helped other committees with projects. So it was a very project-based thing. So if other committees wanted to do data analytics, we would send over someone from our committee to help them with that. Or if there was like a problem with audio equipment, we'd have someone specialize in that. So it was very project-based. So that's what I helped out with. I would say that the person who went after me did a very good job with expanding upon that. I sort of laid a groundwork for this project base of the committee. But she definitely took it very far and actually started laying a very solid groundwork for it. So I'm glad that I did the work that I did, but I definitely think that it reached fruition underneath my successor in, in that aspect. Mm -hmm. Do you have to train her in any way or kind of show her the ropes before you step down from that position? No, I think she was very capable. And I think she, she definitely had an understanding of the things she wanted to change and keep the same. And that's what drove her and I definitely wanted her to go with it. So I sort of stepped out of the way. Mm -hmm. That is so cool. And I've never heard of clubs or student organizations being a selective. Could you explain that a little bit more? And it is Berkeley by nature, just a competitive yeah, campus? I, th I think by nature, it's a competitive campus. There are clubs that on recruitment day, they'll have like, you know, join our club and they'll like be like, oh, come to this place at seven o'clock. And most of the places, it's like very casual. Most of these things are like, you just show up to like have like some food, you just listen to it and then you just like you're part of the club. But these ones have like full application process. Like these are, I'll give for reference, like I found some of the club recruitment more intensive than I found actual job interviews because they have like essays, you have to submit a resume, you go through like first round, second round, like meet and greets. Like it's a whole process to, to get in. And it's because so many people apply to these clubs. And it's not the fact that like, People don't, clubs don't want to have this many people. It's just like, it becomes unfeasible, right? Mm -hmm. And there is, there is a competitive nature. A lot of the clubs that people want to join 
in particular are like coding clubs. So they like do contract projects with like big name companies. Mm-hmm. So people are like, oh, I want to, that would look good on my resume. So I want to join that club for that reason. So there's like 200 people applying for like three or four spots. And it's, it's, it's pretty crazy. So it does get, I'd say competitive. And I think the worst part about it is, is it facilitates a competitive culture, but you give people the idea that they're being graded on like a subjective or objective scale almost that, oh, you get in because of your GPA, but it's extremely subjective. It's, it's students judging other students based on, based on just interviews and everything. And no one has gone through any training of any sort to be able to actually, actually do that and very biased things. So I think it's somewhat unhealthy of a, of a culture that Berkeley's facilitated, but it's, it's hard to not have that culture when so many people want to apply for the same thing. It, it's a hard balance to maintain. Mm-hmm. And on the other note, what are some positives that you've noticed during your time at Berkeley? I think the competitiveness, a lot of the times it can be uh, hurtful, but a lot of people take it in a very positive way that they, they it drives them almost. And I think there is comp- competition, but a lot of people band together and work together and that's what ends up happening. Not everyone is competitive against everyone. I think that's a stereotype that people have is that everyone at Berkeley is cut through to, every, to everyone. So there's no friendship. People don't like bond, but a lot of people work together on classes and clubs to achieve common goals. And I think that's something that, that occurs. I think a lot of people drive themselves. I feel like I have started driving myself a lot more because of seeing everyone around me and their motivation. So that's definitely a positive I've noticed. Mm-hmm. And is there anything that you regret not doing while you're entering your third year as an undergrad? Is there anything you wish you did in the first two? I can't think of anything in particular. I wish I had, now in hindsight because COVID and everything, but I wish I'd explored the, the surrounding Berkeley area a lot more. I spent a lot of time on campus, but I, Berkeley's pretty rich with culture in, in the area around it as well. And I'm sad that I didn't explore that to the fullest extent that I could have. And that's definitely a goal that I'm going to have when I go back to campus in limited capacity. And then when things start opening back up, I'm definitely going to make that a priority. Mm-hmm. I wanted to talk about what you are doing right now, sort of experience-wise. You are involved in some research and internships. And so would you want to talk about that a little bit? Sure. So it's always been when I started off, it was always my goal to do research and to teach research in any sort of capacity, teaching as an undergrad level, just, you know, as a GSI, UGSI type stuff. So the first goal of that was research. So I've started doing research with a graduate student at Berkeley. Basically, he's looking at the effects of Social Security and pension on people's mobility. So if you give people welfare are they more likely to move up social ranks? And I think it's a really cool project. He's using slightly outdated data in the sense that he's looking at 1880s, 1890s, Civil War pensions and seeing the mobility then because the data you know, recently is, I think, more confounding than, than stuff back then. But it's really cool research that he's doing that could have potential long-lasting effects. And I am helping out in the extent of what I'm good at, so data analytics. So I'm helping out in that aspect with web scraping, with gathering data from the internet, a bunch of miscellaneous stuff. So it's not a full research capacity in the sense that I'm not like making hypotheses, doing that stuff. I didn't formulate the question, but I, I think it's a definitely a great dip into moving into like actually doing research. I'm seeing how it's 
going off. And I, I actually have some ideas for research projects I want to run by and see if I can get funding for them and get that started off potentially. So that'd be it's a really cool sort of segue, I'd say. And then in terms of internships, um, I'm interning at Microsoft right now. That's been really cool. It was a pretty steep learning curve to get into the work that I was doing. I can't go too much in depth about the specifics of the work, but as a reference, the position, it's a data science intern. It's usually meant for master's or PhD students. With that being said, the caliber that I had to go into was at that same level. So ramping up that level of knowledge, understanding the code bases was was tough. And then also, you know, it being remote didn't help because questions had to be fielded through like chats instead of, you know, just asking someone next to you. So that made it slightly more tedious of a process. But with steep learning curves, you definitely get the added advantage that you get to learn a lot. At the end of the internship, you know a lot. It was worthwhile, I'd say. And that happened in my internship last semester or last summer too. So I'm grateful for steep learning curves. I think internships are definitely the place to be doing that. It's just in the process. It's definitely a stressful time, I'd say. How do you, first of all, strive for these internships that are placed for people who are higher in their education, further in their knowledge, and how do you place yourself um, in a position where you're like, I can apply for this, I can do this? How is that mentality like for you, and how is it built through the years, especially through different experiences? I think I want to preface this by saying that I applied to quite a few jobs last year. I applied to, I think, 40 or 50 different roles, and I only got accepted to two of them. Microsoft was one of them, and it was extremely humbling opportunity to like go through all this. I spent all first semester getting rejected, making the final rounds and getting rejected. And I got this Microsoft one in January. So it definitely is a lot. And I think a lot of times with recruitment, it can be stressful to like go through all these processes and then just getting rejection after rejection. And a lot of times it isn't because, you know, you aren't smart enough for it or, or, you know, because you don't know the material. It just sometimes, you know, your resume had this thing maybe off about it. People weren't reading it. It spot got filled up before you got there. You got asked a tough question. There, there's so many things that go wrong that are out of your control. And that doesn't mean that necessarily you are at fault or don't know this stuff. So in terms of striving for, for this position specifically, it was, I just applied for it because I fit the qualification that they had listed. They were like, we prefer master students or PhD, but if you meet these things, apply anyway. And I was like, I have experience working in these. I, I enjoy doing this type of work. And I think the reason I was confident about it was because it, just because you have a master's or PhD, it doesn't necessarily mean that you know more than someone who has a lower degree or someone who doesn't have a degree at all knows less than someone who doesn't have a degree. I think it all depends on, you know, the amount of learning you do in your time. And I think that's something to keep important. I think a lot of people at Berkeley just pass classes just to get done with stuff, but don't know things or actually fundamentally understand them. So I think if you enjoy material, if you enjoy doing stuff, then you should be actively pursuing, you know, knowing that at a fundamental level. And I think that's where it comes in. And then that practice, doing things outside of class is where you gain comfort and confidence in the stuff that you're learning. And I think that that's super crucial going into like recruiting, especially is like being confident that you know this stuff and like certifying that confidence both through self-assurance and then also through proving that you know it by by projects or or just you know you, you knowing it you you doing more than just taking the class but actually internalizing it that is such good advice um 
I think a lot of people can just think of a time where it was a class that they just needed to pass and not wanting to actually understand the material. And did you have someone in your life who kind of showed you the way of supplementing your education through outside projects and the way you you talk about the things that you're working on right now is in the sense that you wanted to understand a certain thing and so you built something around it. And I think that's really unique. And did someone ever show you that or did you just kind of learn as you go? How did that come about? It was it was a lot of learn as you go, I would say. People were like, go out and do personal projects. But a lot of times I feel like people will like see a personal project online. They'll be like, go make your own website. But if you don't have an interest in making a website or you don't enjoy web development, that that's a waste of your time, in my opinion. Like, do stuff that you enjoy, you know, working on and, and is actually going to progress. So I started off, I didn't really do any personal projects until my internship last year, actually. Then internship last year, I realized the practicality of computer science. Act. And like, I was doing data analytics and I was like, you know, what if I applied stuff I'm doing in my job, similar things to, to other problems I have in my life, to, to Spotify, to different, you know, to class scheduling, to all this stuff. So I was like, how can I go about doing that? And that, that's where it first started off with. And then I realized that, you know, as you're doing these personal projects, you're learning. And then it sort of just became that, that every time I wanted to learn something, I just started a personal project or if I wanted to like, you know, fix something, I would just, you know, try, try to do it, go about it the best way. That's not to say that all the things that I have, I can solve. There's definitely things that are out of scope for me in order to learn. But it is something that you could ramp up to slowly. If you had asked me a year ago if I would have been able to make a multiplayer escape room, I probably would have said no because I wasn't at that level of like learning stuff or understanding it. But over the year, I've, I've sort of gained knowledge through either classes or other things and gotten to that point that I can't. So it's important, I think, to start small at times or just like start somewhere. And eventually things might just end up working out or getting you to that point. Mm-hmm. And so throughout all this experience and kind of evaluating where you are now, do you see yourself pursuing higher ed after you graduate? You kind of talked about master's or PhD students maybe not being in the same place that someone without a degree is. And so how has that thought process been for you? And do you see yourself pursuing those degrees? Potentially, yes. I would probably do a master's in science, something along those lines. I do enjoy learning about technical things. I think that that's always interesting for me. I I would enjoy dedicating more time and money into learning about that. But again, it depends on what the necessities are. If I get a job, I think will continually push me and, and teach me on the job. I think that that's fine. If I ever reach a point where I want to enter a career pathway or do something different that will require me to pivot fundamentally, then I'd probably go and pursue education that'll help me do that probably in the form of master's. But if I'm comfortable with where I am in terms of knowledge, I think I probably wouldn't do that any further. I don't think I could do a PhD, to be honest. I think that's a little bit too much, but I also said I would never do a computer science major, so things definitely do change. (laughs) Exactly. And is there a issue like a social justice issue or maybe cultural issue that you are extremely passionate about that you see yourself integrating your knowledge in various areas to aid? I think two problems, and they sort of go hand in hand, but not exactly, are, are homelessness and wealth inequality. I think wealth inequality is a huge part 
today, not only in terms of you know, just affecting rich and poor, but it also impacts racial tensions. I think because you have segregation, you have things that happened 50 years ago that caused fundamental economic inequality between different groups. I think that that's something that's perpetuated. And I think if you solve wealth inequality, you're helping in more ways than just one. It, it has a far-reaching spread. So I think that is something that I'm trying to do. I think part of it has to do with figuring out what the problems are in terms of wealth inequality and the best types of solutions. Later on in my career, definitely towards later in my 20s, after I get prior masters, if I, if I do do that, I want to go into economic research much more in depth or into some sort of Federal Reserve banking to help and see if I can pinpoint some of those trends and help alleviate that. I think that's a much more grand scheme of things and a much more individual level. I think homelessness is something you can do by volunteering and help. And that's a much more tangible, immediate issue that can be dealt with on a much more personal level. Wealth inequality is hard to do on an individual level. But those are the two I think that I would spend time focusing on in the future, both professionally and outside of that. How have your lens on wealth inequality and homelessness shifted or expanded going from the small suburb we went to high school to a big diverse setting such as Berkeley? I think Berkeley definitely lends perspective in that sense to the issues overall. I think wealth inequality, I don't think Berkeley specifically changed that, that idea for me. It was more that you learn more about it as I learned more about big tech. I think that popped out to me as I started seeing the type of paychecks that you get as a uh, tech bro, quote unquote, but even like just, just the sheer amount of money and monopoly power that big tech has, you start to realize that there is fundamental wealth inequality and there it, you know, you are in some way a part of it. I am a part of it, but I think change has to happen to a certain extent inside, but also there are things that have to happen fundamentally outside. But going back to that is that Berkeley didn't necessarily shape the change of that. It did dramatically shape the way I viewed homelessness, not just because of the reason that I saw more homeless people, but also there's a lot of clubs at Berkeley that raise awareness over the situations that befall people who are homeless and how they get to that position. I think a lot of people don't realize that what actually ends up happening to go from that. And especially in times like coronavirus, people, people, you know, thankfully we have things that were like evictions are being halted right now, but it really only takes like a small change, like when your family being sick or something of that sort to, to push a lot of people in the working class out to the streets. I feel like a lot of people don't realize that. And I think that was something that definitely was brought more to light when I went to Berkeley. Do you have an example of a misconception that people usually view about homelessness and the, the reality of the issue? I think one big misconception is that people think that homeless people did something to deserve it. Or like, you know, they weren't smart with their money or they, they didn't you know, plan properly, didn't have a job, right? But I think once, like if you fall down or you fall into bad times, it's really hard to get back up. A prime example is that every job application I've sent in, whether it be an internship or a job, I've had to fill out an address and that's a required field. But, you know, if you're homeless, you don't necessarily have an address. You could put a homeless shelter or something like that, but that isn't 
the best case scenario that that might even cause you to be automatically removed from some of these applications. And that that's just an example of like, you fall into bad times and now it's exponentially harder for you to get back into good times, no matter how much you're trying. And I think a lot of people think there's a lack of trying, lack of effort, which I don't think is, is necessarily true. You spoke about having to put a shelter as an address, if at all. And I know a lot of times people will say, why don't they just go to a shelter? And what is the background behind that, to your knowledge, at least? I think, first of all, there isn't enough space in shelters. A lot of times people were out of date in certain areas. Like Berkeley is a popular spot. San Francisco is a popular spot. One, because they have more shelters. Two, because they have better infrastructure to handle that stuff but that that does cause issues. You can't spread yourself out. There are also certain cities that will run homeless people out. Anti-homelessness architecture is becoming overwhelmingly popular in in larger cities now, which is somewhat cruel, but it's it's what city planners are doing. So it's pushing people into like certain areas which have those homeless shelters, and as a result, those get crowded. So you, you could put a homeless shelter down in the address because you know no one can really verify whether or not you were there that day that you applied for it. But fundamentally, homeless shelters are are being overrun to the point of of inefficiency in some cases. Wow, that is powerful, and I don't think a lot of people talk about homelessness. So thank you for just recognizing that and bringing that. I would like to ask, how do you think you have grown and learned outside of the classroom and outside of everything else? How do you think you've changed as a person from entering college and coming in as a first year? I think academic-wise is is probably the biggest way I've changed just because I think high school and college obviously very different, but high school you're sort of required to take certain classes, sort of required to follow a certain pathway, and it's hard. You, You might you know, take classes in high school and not really enjoy them. And that, that might perpetuate through all the classes. You know, if you don't enjoy half your classes, you don't have motivation to work on all of them. That thing, that's sort of a, a spread effect. And a lot of people will be like, oh, I didn't do well in high school. I probably won't do well in college. They have that misconception. But college really provides the opportunity to take the classes you enjoy. And I think if you find that area or that subsect of stuff that you enjoy doing, that's where you'll actually end up thriving in. I really enjoy the work that I do. I enjoy creating, I enjoy learning, specifically statistics, all, all this stuff, which is why I, I think I do well in it. But there are people, I think, if you if you stick me and I had to learn, I took I took one poli-sci course freshman year and I did terrible in it because I didn't have a uh, fundamental interest in, in the topic material. But my friend took it and she loves poli-sci and she did fantastic in it because, you know, she, she enjoyed that stuff. And I think that goes to show is that like, High school is everyone's taking the same class. And of course, some people are going to enjoy the math, the sciences, the classes that you have to take. But when you go to college, you have the ability to take like gender woman studies. You have the opportunity to take legality. You, you have option to take like all these different classes that you couldn't in high school. And I think that's the opportunity that you should seize is to, is to begin realizing what things you do. And you don't have to necessarily take classes to enjoy it, to realize that you enjoy it. You can join clubs. You can self-study i think just realizing what that that is that you want to do early on is is important and i think that's one of the distinct advantages that you get um, by going to a college outside of academics socially wise i think i've definitely grown to expand i won't say the types of people i hang out with the types of ways i make friends too 
usually high school, I think, was you knew someone and you got to be friends with them or you had classes with them or th those were like the very direct ways or you'd known someone since elementary school and you just kept getting shuffled to the same school with them. But college is sort of a free-for-all. It goes back to the earlier point that you can do whatever you want. So whether it be like a club you joined, you just met someone at a party, parties hopefully not happening right now, but you know, whatever, whatever methodology. And I think that that freedom really definitely grants you some stuff and you should definitely be open-minded about the way you do it. I definitely was relatively closed-minded when I first came out. I was like, oh, I'll just meet people in classes. I didn't really go to class. So that was a hard hurdle to go overcome. So, you know, meeting people going, it's like just down the hall in your dorms, broadening the way that you approach situations is, is important. And on the other side of things, how do you hope to grow in the next five, 10 years? I sort of like the trajectory I'm on at the moment. I think just continually to, to learn and, and mature, I think are important things. I think learning is, is my biggest goal just overall. I think early career, finishing off this last part of college, those are times where you really get to, to explore things and before you actually have to settle down, I think into a, into a little more stable career. So definitely at least five years is just continually exploring, learning. I hope to be able to travel a little bit more, get different perspectives, at least whether it's being able to travel to a different city for work. I was supposed to be in Seattle this summer. That would have been nice. My goal was to go to a different city every summer to work just to get a different environment. I think that's important. Um, trying to apply for some jobs in like Singapore, Hong Kong, I think that'll be cool to, to go elsewhere. I think just gaining more perspective will be uh, a pretty cool thing to do. And that's definitely a goal. Wow, that sounds amazing. And thank you for your time today and coming on and just sharing your undergrad experience and everything else that has supplemented it. So thank you. Absolutely. And that was my episode with Avi. Again, I think that there are just so many lessons to be had here from fully understanding content and material that you're learning in class by exploring it outside of the classroom and also just how to position yourself in a place where you can receive these higher up internships like Avi exampled and just having that mindset of wanting to constantly learn and grow and not only that, but creating a lifestyle where you are content with the trend that you are on, I think is unique, especially just where we are in life. And so I enjoyed this conversation and I hope that you had some takeaways as well. Definitely make sure to go to the show notes, click on some of the links to check out Avi's projects from the Spotify rooms to the escape rooms. There are definitely some unique things out there and he has really created some really cool things. And so go check those out experience these things for yourself and i will see you next time bye